Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. If you want to learn how to create a beautiful home, like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines, or social feeds, using what you already have and love, I'm excited to share that my new book, Style, The Art of Creating a Beautiful Home, is now available in Australia and New Zealand, and it's coming soon to the rest of the world. So if you buy or pre-order the book before the 5th of July, you will get instant access to some free bonuses. First of all, you will go into the draw to win one of 10 places in the Starling Masterclass, valued at Australian $799. Secondly, you will get a free workbook on how to find your style. And finally, you will get instant access to three styling insider guides, including how to style step-by-step, walking you through how to style space, a styling checklist, what you need to make sure you have in each space, and your essential styling toolkit, which includes the essentials I have in my home that help me always be ready to style my spaces. These free bonuses are only available when you buy or pre-order my new book style before its international release on the 5th of July. All you have to do to claim your bonuses is go to nataliewalton.com forward slash style book and enter your receipt or order number from your bookseller and you will get instant access to the downloads and will automatically go into the draw for the giveaway. You will find all the T's and C's there too. So go to nataliewalton.com forward slash style book to enter the giveaway and claim your free bonuses. Hello everyone. I hope you're all well. Today was such a treat to talk to Kanisha Bikes, the creator of Restoration House, a home and lifestyle brand, which focuses on creating beautiful spaces that also speak to the restorative aspects of home. She is passionate about connecting others, gathering and inspirational styling and design. Kanisha also has a beautiful book, Restoration House, which I highly encourage you to check out. And we talk about the journey to creating that, as well as her journey to embracing freedom in her home and life. Kanisha, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I am a huge fan of your book, Restoration House, and I'm also in love with your aesthetic as well, which I guess, you know, you see that in the book, it's very much comes alive in that space. But I want to find out a little bit more about you. Now, I have read a little bit about your story in your book, but for our listeners, can you share a little bit about your journey to where you are today. Um, I'm always interested to know, obviously you're a very, you know, you've got a great eye. You seem to be quite a creative person. Do you think that was always in you as a child? 
So yes, I I would say yes. I I, I think about that often that question, the last one that you asked, and I'll I'll get to my journey for sure. But I think to to answer that that question directly, I I feel like creativity um, saved me, if that makes sense. So um, that that's kind of a segue into my life story. So I live currently, my family and I would live in Seattle, Washington. And I have four kids and I've been married for 22 years this year, which is crazy because how can you be married for 22 years when you're only 22 years old? <laughs> but, um, no, I'm, I'm actually 43. So I've been married. I was, I've been married since I was 22 years old, literally. Um, but my, my, uh, I, I was born and raised in the South, um, in Alabama and um, I was an only child. I lived in a non-traditional home in the sense that um, my, you know, it wasn't like your traditional home where you have a mom, dad, you know, yourself, siblings or whatever. It was um, my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, my cousin, myself, and my grandfather who passed away when I was like five or six years old. And so I think the fact that I was an only child, that that's kind of what led to me finding this space that allowed me to create um, and kind of express myself in the way that I that, that I learned to. And um, my childhood was also riddled with uh, a lot of trauma. So um, I say that that creativity saved me because um, it was the safe space for me. It provided a safe space for me to go to when I didn't really know how to necessarily express emotions or um, sadness or things that I was feeling. Um, my mother was, um, for most of my life, mentally ill. So, um, you know, as an only child, as a daughter, that definitely affected um, affected me, right? So, I think I've, there's there's like there's that's that's like this like I guess you could say. Um, there's pain, there was pain there, but there's also like this beautiful side of my creativity that I think would have been there regardless of the pain. And so, uh, the beautiful side of that, um, which I guess in some ways, actually the pain has transformed into beauty, right? I think a lot of us as artists, as creatives, um, I think sometimes without those, those, uh, pain points or those hard seasons or whatever, you know, life brings you like, I think there's always like something beautiful that comes out of that. So, um, the part that isn't attached to trauma, I will say, um, is that I grew up in the South where as far as design style, creativity, um, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like, it's bred in you. So everyone growing up, my mom was a seamstress, so she sewed. Um, most of my clothes, she made them, you know, so, um, her sister, my aunt was also a seamstress. She, she could literally, my mom and my aunt, they could look at something and recreate it or just in their, in their minds, just see something and just make it. And I never, I always took that for granted as a kid, right? Like I was just like, Oh, anybody can do that, you know? But, um, obviously now as a creative, I look back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, um, that was a gift, you know? And so I grew up with that. And then like people in my family who were just uh, had a bit toward home and home design and interior design, um, growing up in the house that we grew up in, we did not have a lot of money, but somehow my, um, my grandmother, we had silk drapes that were custom. We had custom upholstery. Um, 
you know, the way that the home felt and the way that things looked and the way that they came together mattered. Um, it was never ex like expressed directly in that way, but it was just like understood that like in this home, in this space that we live in, the place that we dwell in, these things matter. And they don't just matter because, you know, because we're pretentious people. It matters because this creates an environment that um, allows for us to kind of um, communicate something about who we are. So um, I think I, you know, I absorbed a lot of that and that kind of led me to where I am, who I am, what I do today. Um, writing was a part of that creativity for me. So a lot of what I do today involves a lot of writing um, and uh, intertwining the, the two um, mediums of, of writing and you know, visual storytelling, if you will. So that's kind of been something fun for me to dive into over the past two years as well. Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I can, you know, relate to the, the writing side, you know, having that element of your creativity plus the more visual side as well. Um, you sort of share in the book that you moved 10 times in the first 10 years of marriage. And <laughs> I'm, I've, I've kind of noticed a bit of a pattern like with, you know, the different homes that I've visited over the years when I go styling people's homes, for my books or for magazines. And I do think there seems to be this thing that people who've moved a lot tend to have really good homes and you would almost think it would be the yeah. opposite. And I think it's because yeah. this is just my little theory. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if you that agree or not, but I think that when you kind of move, you want to get that sense of security and safety kind of quite quickly. And so you actually make it happen. Yes. Would you agree with that? Yes. I would absolutely agree with that. I think um, for me, you're a 100% spot on. For us, we were in the military. So that was that was part of the reason that we moved, you know, every three years or so. Um, and there was this sense of like, you know, I, call, I say, you know, like taking it all in and absorbing it as quickly and as often or as much as possible. Um, whether that was, you know, the community that we were immersing ourselves in, because culturally, a lot of times we were, you know, moving into these spaces that culturally were so opposite of what um, my husband and I or our family that we, you know, um, been exposed to or grew up with. So um, there was definitely and there still is this this desire to just kind of like suck the life out of life. And sometimes I think the way that that translates in the home is that, yes, I believe in making homes slowly, right? Like not, you know, uh, there's no such thing as like an in the box or like right out of the box room or space. Um, but I think as far as like storytelling goes, um, home story, you know, those things, I think it's very easy. I think it's why, that's why home story and like your personal story and telling your story in your home is so important because it doesn't, it, it makes it feel like, you're not just taking some packaged, you know, thing out of a box and, and it's, it, it's a little less plastic or sterile, right? Like if you're authentically like telling the story of who you are with the things that you bring into your space, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here to you because literally that's what you're about. Um, but I think it's one of the reasons that, um, that that piece is so important because, you know, as someone who has had to every two to three years move to a different home, it's very important for me to have a space that feels like home. <laughs> and in order to do that, you know, um, again, I, I kind of am 
I'm repeating myself, but in order to do that, I think that there has to be some authenticity there. And in order to have that authenticity, it has to come from a place that's true. And the only place that I can pull that from is from my own life and memories and, you know, heirlooms, things, family heirlooms, things like that. Yeah, I have I, probably jumped ahead a little bit because I'm curious as well. So, I mean, you've sort of described growing up with your your mother and your grandmother and your your aunt. And so what about when you were then in high school um, and those kind of later years of teenagehood? Did you have a sense then of what you wanted to do with your life in terms of work or you know, any of that, did you, um, I think you mentioned in the book that you met your husband at college. I don't know if I'm correct on that, but what did, yeah, yeah what yeah, did you study? Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, you know, that time where you're sort of trying to work out what you want to be. It's, you know, what's so funny. I, when I was a kid I, and I just, here's the thing. I think I just knew I, I, I have always felt like, and hopefully this doesn't sound too narcissistic or, or, um, presumptuous, but I, didn't know exactly what I wanted to be, but I know I wanted to be someone who did something really good. And I wanted to be really good at whatever I did. And so I think that at, even at 43, there's still like that 12, 13, 14, 15 year old Kenesha who's like, I just want to be really good at what I do. Like, I just, I don't necessarily need to be the greatest because I, I think that's so like uh, subjective. Right. But, but like, I want to be really good at what I, what I do. Like I want to lay my head down at night and just say like, I did the best I could. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I want to feel empty almost every day. And I can't say that at 43, I even have, uh, you know, arrived at that place where I just feel like I've given the each day, everything that I have, whether that's mothering or whether it's my, my profession. Um, but when I was a kid, definitely younger, I had no idea again, just wanted to be really great. And I, I just always feel like in me, there's this like calling to like, lead the masses, if you will, and whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, but when I was in college, uh, my, my senior year of high school, I knew that I wanted to do something that, um, was in the field of communications. Um, I didn't know exactly what that looked like. So I went, I, I studied mass communications in college and I thought my freshman year, I thought I wanted to go into journalism because I knew that I was, I had strong writing skills. Um, and that to me just made sense. And also my grandmother, um, and my grandfather used to clean, uh, offices when I was a kid. And one of the offices that they cleaned for like 20 years was our local newspaper. And I was fascinated with print and with journalism and with writing and the art of print. I mean, just all those things are just really, um, fascinating to me. And the people that own the, um, the newspaper business, they also, um, they kind of took me under their wings, if you will, in, in some regards. So yeah, I thought journalism for sure was what I was going to go into, but I ended up studying, um, more specifically public relations and I worked in public relations and with the media for, a few years before I had my first child and, um, didn't go back after that. So, okay. So you did, um, communications, journalism, PR. So then did you work in those fields at all? Or was that then when you sort of started to, to move around as part of the military? 
Yeah. So um, we we were military literally at the onset, right after graduation from college. Um, my husband was active duty immediately. So um, my first four years of marriage, uh, I was not pregnant and I wasn't having babies and I was focused on a career more than anything. So I worked in PR in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I was the uh, media relations director and worked for a nonprofit there. And, uh, it, you know, for anyone who's been in that sector, in that industry, you know, when you're with working with, in a nonprofit, a small nonprofit, especially that you kind of wear many hats. So that meant, you know, writing press releases, lots of media placement, um, news, copywriting, I mean, editing, I, everything. It, it was it was kind of a full the full package. So I did that for a few years and, um, and then got pregnant and decided, I always knew that, uh, if I did, you know, we did have kids and I did get pregnant that I'd want to be available for my kids. And so we agreed and made the decision that I would be the one to stay at home and, um, to provide, you know, that, that, um, that nurture, um, that, that to provide that for my kids. Um, so, that's what we did. And I have obviously used those skills that I've honed over my life and then especially in college, um, in my business and uh, for Restoration House. Yeah. So what point did you then start the blog? Can you sort of share the journey of yeah. when that all happened? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my oldest child is 18. I have three boys and one girl. And my daughter is almost 17. She'll be 17 this year. And so what's crazy, what I'm about to, what I'm about to say is actually, it blows my mind more than it will anyone else's when I say it out loud. But um, 17 years ago, when my daughter, when I was pregnant with her, I that was kind of where the seed was planted for what I do today. and. Um, it actually is like, it's kind of like freaking me out because I haven't said that out loud and I haven't really thought about it because I usually say 12 years, but that's actually incorrect. It's actually been 17 years. So that's wild um, that I've kind of been at this. And when I got pregnant with my daughter, military family, literally no money. Um, I thought, you know, all at that time, you know, uh, Pottery Barn, Restoration Hardware, you know, all these places um, were kind of like a big thing. And everybody around me, at least in our community, you know, they wanted, you know, the pottery barn cribs and all the things that cost like literally an arm and a leg. And there was no way at that time I could ever afford any of that. So I was like, I, I think I can like find furniture and, you know, things that have the same, um, style and line and aesthetic and I can make them look like pottery barn and so with her I began to go to thrift stores antique shops all these places and um and found pieces that I liked and refinished them and we um created a nursery for her that was full of lots of things that had soul and um, that's kind of where it all began. And so that was, um, that was, you know, when she was born and then three years later, so 14 years from today, you know, 14 years ago um, was when the blog actually started because we moved from where we were then to Hawaii. And in Hawaii, it was kind of the same 
mindset or idea, but on a larger scale because I had a house to fill and um, being in Hawaii, you know, shipping at that time for sure was just, it was ridiculous. I mean, to think that I was going to buy all brand new furniture and then also pay for shipping, it was just not even an option. So I started doing um, kind of going room by room and, and, and uh, again, shopping, buying some new for sure, but a lot of um, consignment, thrift, antique, vintage shopping, um, refinishing, and then kind of filling our home with it. And people would come into the house and they'd say, oh my gosh, where'd you buy this? Where'd you buy this? I'm like, um, I made that. And people, uh, a lot of friends would want either me to recreate or help show them um, how to do it. And so that's kind of honestly where um, I say the blog, Restoration House, um, that was, it was born out of that. I started doing a lot of um, craft shows and fairs and selling everything. I just thought this is the greatest thing ever because um you know, at that point I hadn't worked in six to seven years, you know, and that was definitely something that I missed. Um, I felt like I was, you know, quote unquote, just a mom. And I wanted to feel like more than just a mom. I wanted to put my hand to the plow and do something that fed me creatively, that fed my soul. And so Restoration House was kind of born out of this need in that season to uh, express myself creatively and to feel like more than just a mom. So did you share sort of your projects? Was it kind of like a before and after type yeah. thing and you would share the process? Yeah, it was so it was so cheesy. Um, <laughs> at that point, it was, you know, blocking was so different back then, right? So I, I think I was on Blockspot and it was so basic. I mean, I'd literally paint a few pieces, share them and talk about them and it was my way to, it was kind of like, you know, like a way for people to also shop products. So, you know, I'd say, Hey, you can go to my blog and look at what's available. And then people could, you know, either customize, kind of see it was like a portfolio as well. Um, and then also sell from there. And, um, and then fast forwarding a few years down the road, about seven, eight, nine years, I lost my mom. I stopped blogging. Um, and, and, and in that time, you know, the blogging community morphed, changed. Um, people began to blog more. They were, they, it became more of a community. There was a lot of collaboration. Um, it was really exciting. It was an exciting time. Um, you know, brands were involved. And um, and then my mom passed away, and I didn't want to do anything ever again. Wow. <laughs> that was um, a really sad, depressing, dark time for me, but also very much um, a time of transition and healing. Yeah. And so when I came back to blogging, it, I, I think I stayed away um, for a year and a half to two years. When I, I finally came back, um, I that's, I would say, when it transitioned more into the visual storytelling, because I was a different person. Um, you know, losing my mom, um, it was, it was obviously it was hard. Um, but creatively it did just did something to me. Um, it, it made me, her death, uh, made me feel like I just didn't want to lose or waste any time with what was in me. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about like, um, you know, emptying myself creatively every day. Mm. Um, so I just felt like I want to, I want to empty myself. I want to lean into what it looks like to 
throw myself into, you know, these things that I feel like I'm gifted in or that I'm passionate about. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, Wow, there's so much there, but it's, I mean, well, well, one of the things is that um, I, I mean, I had a blog way back when um, in 2007 called Daily Imprint, and it was so it's probably similar kind of time. So I've got a sense of what it was like the blogging community back then, and it was really beautiful um, and very supportive. Yeah. Is that did and but I'm really impressed that you were actually selling stuff like pretty was it pretty much from from the start? It was. Yeah, it was from the blog, all local, but the shows helped, right? Because that was feet on the ground. People could come there, touch, see, feel, um, you know, if they found the blog. And I was advertising the blog even through um, community groups in the military, um, like local newspapers, things like that, magazines, local, local, a lot of local organizations and businesses so or, or publications. So, um, so that helped for sure. Yeah. And so, and you're right. It was so different, like so different then. Yeah. And so that change that you experienced after your mom passed was, can you sort of share then how that transitioned? I remember I, um, was, I was, I was refinishing furniture at that time, but I was like killing it. Like, (laughs) like I, I just, I thought this is like the best thing ever. I mean, I, I had clients and I was thoroughly enjoying the artistic side of the refinishing. And I took great pride in, um, in what I was doing and what happened. I, I remember having this feeling um, that the market was quote unquote saturated. So that what that looked like at that time was that, you know, everybody started refinishing furniture. And, um, and, and the, the sad part for me at that time was that people were taking, um, really cheap furniture. They weren't actually refinishing it. You know, they weren't structurally, um, like making it sound or, you know, whatever. They just slap some paint on it and just call it good and then charge, you know, triple the price or whatever. And so that in some regard ended up affecting my business because that's not what I was doing. And so people expected that when they saw, you know, or, or, or were offered the opportunity to purchase a piece from me that they would get what they could possibly get from someone else who wasn't taking as much care or time to actually conserve, um, you know, and, and really, um, you know, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, um, you would sort of like to show the, the true value or history of the piece. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I had one project. Uh, it was actually my last project that I was working on. It was a nursery <clears throat> for someone. I was doing a few pieces. Um, and actually, more than furniture, I was also putting the room together for them um, or styling, essentially. And I remember not, I was, it was so hard for me to get through this project. And I just kept thinking, what is going on? And finally just resolved that this just, it just meant it was the close of a chapter. Like I was just, you know how it is like when you're doing something and you're like, I'm so not supposed to do this anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just forcing this and it's not, this is not what I'm supposed to do. So that was kind of how it ended. I mean, it was, it was somewhat abrupt. I mean, I was like, God, if I just get through this last project, I won't eat, I won't try to do this again. (laughs) I was was miserable. (laughs) I was miserable. 
And, and that was the end of it. And it was just like, it was just like such freedom came after that. And I was able to, to release it and, you know, walk into uh, a different space and just began really more. It wasn't even really visual storytelling at that point. It was just a lot of storytelling, just writing um, about um, life, my life, about things that I thought people cared about, um, you know, just touching pain points. Um, you know, it, it could be, you know, a jumping point could be a conversation that I had with someone online or someone that, you know, that I knew personally that I walk with in my own life. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of, it just kind of abruptly stopped and then it started again, but it started very differently. Yeah. And, and so how did it start differently? So what was your approach when you kind of decided and could you feel a calling back to it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I mean, I, I think when I actually think about it, I don't know if I, if I'd ever at that point expressed myself in that way publicly. So that was a bit, that was a big leap for me to, you know, end what I, what was really almost a decade's worth of work and uh, question whether or not, number one, I was doing the right thing or the thing that I was supposed to do and how well people would accept it, right? And I think, um, I, you know, if I'm honest, so many years down the road now, I still question that from time to time, you know? Um, is, this, is this actually, is this okay? Or is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this the way that I'm supposed to do it? Um, but, but I think, you know, as far as the storytelling piece, I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram, but I am an eight wing seven on the Enneagram. <laughs> and, um, that means that for the most part, the, the best side of me, the healthy side of me, um, when I make a decision to do something, I just do it. And I don't really care what people think, uh, the unhealthy side of, side of me wavers and, um, and puts way too much weight on whatever others think. So I think the healthy eight in me at that point decided that this is exactly what I need, regardless of whether it's what I'm supposed to do or not. And we'll just figure out, figure it out along the way. And, um, and so I made a decision that this is what I needed. I needed to write. I needed to tell my story. I needed to, um, connect differently. I needed to heal. And so that was really where, um, a lot of it initiated was, with my own personal story, because I, I always feel like, you know, people can refute a lot of things, but they can't refute story. And, and so, um, I became, I think less concerned with what people thought I should be doing because it was more journaling at that time, I think than anything else. And my story and my life and the things that I wrestled with and, um, you know, ways that I was finding courage and, and all those things, they resonated with people. And uh, it kind of came, became this beautiful community, if you will, that continues to grow. Mm. And so then where did the book come into all of this? So the book, so the book started, it was initiated uh, about five years ago. And, um, as I was writing, stepping into my power, if you will, stepping into um, the person I am today, um, I was approached by Harper to write a book. And um, I got an email one night. I was checking my emails and I got an email that said, 
hey, this is so-and-so from Harper, and I have followed you for a while, really love your writing. Have you ever considered writing a book? And I almost deleted the email because I thought it was spam. <laughs> I was like, this is a joke. Someone's messing with me because people do that, you know? People are really mean. So so I didn't delete the email. I showed it to my husband. And he was like, well, are you going to respond? I'm like, I think it's fake. He's like, it's not fake, Kenesha. And so I responded, I think, the next day. Um, my response to her was, no, I haven't considered writing a book. And that was the truth because... I write, I write and I wrote because I like to write because I've always done that. And that's all that I know. I really had never considered a book. I was never interested in writing a book. Um, so that is kind of how the book came to be. I mean, I, we went through a lot of um, revisions and obviously editing. I think it took a little longer than average to do all of those things. Um, and then we ran right into COVID with the release of the book in 2019, spring of 2019, May of 2019. So yeah, the book is out there. It's amazing. It was a beautiful journey. I, I love it. Lots of people love it. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It really is. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, Thank you. it's, it's beautiful. The, the photography, the the styling, you know, the message that it's just, yeah, it, the, the images really reflect the content. I feel it's, it's kind of got that beautiful cohesion with Thank it. You. Um, so I'm Thank curious you. because I mean, I've written a couple of books and I also launched one yes. at the same time as you, it must've been the same time as yeah. you. And, um, yeah. now I've had to, you know, pitch my ideas to, to a publisher. So then how did you settle on then, what this book was going to be about. What was your intention with this book? Well, originally the Restoration House was not Restoration House, it was found. And um, the message was not, it was, uh, I guess it was kind of the same, but um, also not. <laughs> so so we had a, almost a total revamp, you know, as far as um, the, not the pitch, but the, um, what is the other thing called? Like the, like, like <laughs> the concept sort of thing. Uh, yeah. The, <laughs> the, there's another name for it in the publishing industry that I, I literally, and my brain isn't working today. So that's okay. Um, <laughs> we know what you the, mean. <laughs> but, but, but that thing that you write and that proposal. you don't necessarily proposal. pitch, but you, what's that? Proposal. Is that, yes, yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's okay. <laughs> the book, the book proposal. Yep. Um, it, it was uh, completely different. They didn't hate it. They just didn't think it would sell. So, right. you know, and, you know, you know how it is, you know, with publishers, it's a business, right? So, um, so we reworked it and, 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 and we went back and forth a lot and it became something that we could all agree on and it felt good to me, right? Because as, as the writer, as the author, it had to feel authentic and genuine and, uh, it had to have my voice. And so, um, so yeah, so, so restoration house was actually found initially and, um, and it, I was essentially, you know, taking the reader through, uh, same concept of like intertwining my own personal testimony, life journey, um, with some very practical, ways um to kind of tell your own story in your home um 
but yeah, we landed with Restoration House. Um, it did make sense to me, you know, as they explained it, you know, as far as branding was concerned and having it under the same name and um, all those good things. So yeah, it came out beautifully. I am very pleased with it. I had a really great photographer, actually a really close friend, Tiara, who I admire greatly. Um, she's extremely talented and just so, 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 so happy with the, the outcome. And so were the shoots at your home or was it a few different locations? And does it include- We had three different shoot locations. We had one studio location and two, um, essentially we rented, we, we rented uh, two homes. And uh, uh, well, kind of uh, two blogger friends, actually, two local blogger friends. Seattle's kind of full of blogger friends. I, I didn't realize, I think, when we moved here, but- got a lot of of good bloggers and artists and creatives here yeah um and so what was that experience like then when you kind of held it in your hands as your first book oh definitely surreal definitely surreal I, I honestly okay in the same way that I still don't at 43 years old believe that I have like yesterday I was at my son's track meet and I was looking at he, him and my daughter together. And I was just like, these are my kids. <laughs> like, like, how do I have four kids? And also how do I have kids? So I think I, I look at the book the same way. I'm like, this is my book. Like, I wrote a book. That's weird. It's weird. This is weird. Like my name's on this book forever. That's weird. So I think I'm, I'm forever humbled like it's like if it ever becomes normal, then something's wrong. Hmm. Like I don't ever want that to be like, oh, no big deal. I wrote a book or like, oh, no. Like, I just think that's there's just something uh, not healthy attached to that type of mindset. So I, I, I like where I am with it. I'm OK, you know, considering or thinking that I was just still humbled by it. I, I can't believe that I wrote a book. And if I write 5,000 more, I still won't believe I wrote 5,001, you know? Yeah. Um, I have to ask you about the writing process because, um, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, as someone who's a writer, with my first book, I really struggled. And I've spoken to other writers about this. And for me, it was really hard to find my voice. Now, I'm guessing that maybe for you it wasn't so hard because, it, you know, yours is a very personal story that you're sharing in many ways did you find it hard or were you kind of struggling with being honest and open or is that what drove you to to write and helped you to write well yeah I you know (laughs) (laughs) it's so crazy because I feel like you know that was three four five years ago and I am so, my voice is so different now than it was. So I read the book and I'm like, gosh, I, I'm so different now. My voice is so different now. And I I think in that process, I did struggle because number one, you have editors, right? Who have an idea about what you need to say and how you need to say it. And then their focus is always not necessarily you, depending on the editor, it's on the business, it's on the publisher, you know, the publisher that it's about bottom line. And I don't know, every publishing company is different, but this is, uh, again, my experience. So 
I, I think there was always kind of this tension with me wanting to kind of push the envelope and they're like pumping the brakes on me a little bit, which is so not good for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's my way of saying that, you know, when you read the book, I wouldn't say you're necessarily like, you're not necessarily getting like the whole story because a lot of it had to be edited. And also I had to be very careful because while I'm telling parts of the story that are mine, a lot of it, a lot of these pieces aren't mine to tell. So I had to be very careful, especially as it pertains to family and like really intimate, detailed story, like pieces of the story, I had to self-edit because, because it's not my story to tell. Some of those things are just not my story to tell. But I also, it's very important as a writer to have your audience trust you. So I, it was just like the entire time I'm writing, I'm towing the line between, you know, having my family disown me and, <laughs> and having the reader actually like lean in and like get something from it. And what about your husband? What does he think of it? Oh, gosh. He's, he's just going along for the ride. He loves every bit of it. He loves every bit of it. <laughs> that's, that's so good. He's supportive in other words, extremely supportive. Yeah. So he doesn't mind you sharing. Cause I mean, you're kind of sharing his story a little bit as well. So he's okay with all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And so you, you talk about in the book, um, sort of being, you know, you had perfectionist tendencies and was sort of trying <laughs> you know, really hard to sort of create this ideal home and um, that ultimately you sort of decided that that wasn't, you know, helpful, you know, in the long run and it was maybe even a little bit destructive. Can you just share your experience of that a little bit? Yeah, I struggle with that. I mean, I still struggle with that. So I hopefully the message in, in the book, what some of what people you know, get from it isn't that, you know, I've arrived at some place and I'm just over a lot of these things that I'm sharing. It it I hopefully, you know, the message received is also that this is like human condition, right? Like I'll continue to struggle with perfectionism. I it, it is a disease. I mean I maybe that's strong language, but it is. And I think that the culture that we live in, the society that we live in, from social media to you know, other messages that we're surrounded by will continue to tell us that we need to live a certain way. Our houses need to look a certain way. We need to be um, a certain thing. Um, so, so I think that that we're we're collectively like, in some in some ways, we're all we all struggle with this. Um, and then I know, obviously, speaking for myself, I personally um, wrestle with this idea of perfectionism. And some of that for sure stems, I think, um, from my own childhood and just some of the ways that I grew up, um, some of the ways that I was guided to think about myself and, and not intentionally, very much subconsciously, unintentionally. Um, so, so I think that I think the, the biggest thing for me has been just being aware of it, you know, and not um, being passive about it or brushing it off as nothing, because I understand, um, you know, thinking of it as a disease, which again may sound really harsh or heavy, but for me, I kind of have to see it that way because if I don't, then it controls me. 
(laughs) And so if I get to name it and, um, it doesn't have as much control over me and I can just let it be what it's meant to be. And I also feel like it has strengths. The, the perfectionist side of me is the reason I can be good at what I do. Um, I'm very much into details. You know, I know I'm again, preaching to the choir here, but like, you know, those are the good things. And so I'd rather, um, look at the good parts of what has been perceived for a really long time as a weakness and that I myself has, have perceived as a weakness and look at it for, um, some of the things that, um, it allows me to bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that so much. I mean, I'm definitely, I kind of say like I'm a recovering perfectionist. Like I I definitely have that tendency. And I think, you know, a lot of it is, I mean, again, my kind of theorizing, but, um, I think it's about kind of getting control, you know, it's about controlling your environment, controlling what's happening in your life you know, all of those kind of things. And I think similar to you, you know, I think that I've had to walk that tightrope and, you know, sometimes I lean, you know, I I think that I've definitely, and you talk about this in the book, you know, being living in gratitude, I think is a huge tool for me and a huge help for me to when I'm experiencing and focusing on what I'm grateful for. And I'd sort of do that every evening. I write in my journal of, you know, five things and they've got to be different things every day that I'm grateful for. So that, you know, I can't just repeat the same things over and over. And um, that's definitely really helped me um, to let go. And also, I mean, I've got four children as well. And I think that once I had, you know, two plus children, I sort of realized I had to let go. I just couldn't you know, I couldn't be an engaged mum and also, you know, have an immaculate home all the time, you know, those kind of things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's definitely something that I think you've got to kind of, it can help you in some ways. Like obviously we both have a love of, um, visual and, and storytelling and words, but I think that there's that flip side of it as well that needs to be kind of controlled and contained to a degree which perhaps takes us on to Instagram. And I mean, you talk about this in your book as well. And, you know, you write so beautifully on Instagram and your images are so beautiful. And you also sort of show some of the behind the scenes and and have a bit of fun with it as well. (laughs) How, how do you show up? What's your, I guess, again, your intention with how you show up on Instagram and and what's your relationship with it? I just, I think it's something that so many of us struggle with. And I know I certainly go through mm-hmm. periods where I could quite happily just delete the app and, but, then, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's such a great way yeah. to get inspiration and to connect with other people. I mean, that's how, you know, I've connected with you. And so, you know, there's a lot of good that comes of it, but ha- yeah, how do you, sort of deal with Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's interesting. I mean, I think that so many of us are, first of all, I think so many of us are asking that question right now. I know I've even asked in my stories um, over this past year, you know, how people are feeling about it. And literally like well over 60% of, of followers who responded, um, are having a really hard time. And that, that runs the gamut from, um, from people who have personal accounts to those who are, have business and creative accounts on Instagram, which means, you know, like, uh, anything from influencers to, you know, artists, uh, and so on. So, 
I, I don't think that uh, that you're alone. I don't think that I'm alone when I say that um, I have a very precarious, uh, precarious relationship with Instagram and with social media in general. I think where I am with it today, um, because every day is different. <laughs> Some days I'm like, I love this place. This is great. And other days I'm like, I'm going to throw my phone in the trash. <laughs> like I'm so over it. Um, but uh, what I've, what my lately, what I've adopted is that I'm going to show up when I feel like it, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to allow the algorithm to um, show or, or uh, control me essentially and tell me what, what it is I need to do, how often I need to do it. It goes back to my eight moon seven on the Enneagram. I don't want, I don't ever want to be controlled. Tell me I'm going to do something. I'll do it. I'll, I will show you that I'm going to do the opposite. Like tell me I have to do something one way and I am going to show you that it doesn't have to be done that way. And, um, and so to me, that's the algorithm. That's Instagram, literally Instagram, not my community, but Instagram, because those two, those two things are separate. Um, I love the community that I have there. So I've kind of decided that Instagram is a tool, right? It's, it's not what they have uh, done a really great job as far as marketing and all these other things are concerned is making us believe that it is the end all be all, but it's not. And so my, um, the best way for me, uh, to build community is through my newsletter, through my blog. Um, Pinterest actually is a really great, um, um, resource for me. Um, and I think for a lot of creatives, it, it can be, um, it, it just is kind of like this catch all, if you will, just probably not the greatest word, but this is not, by the way, it's not sponsored. Pinterest did not pay me to say this. <laughs> <laughs> I just am genuinely like, like I just genuinely, um, love the platform, but, um, there's just my, my whole point in saying that is that there's all these ways that we can build and form community and get, um, what we want or what we need out of these spaces. And I think that, uh, I was actually going to share this with another question you asked, but, you know, just in watching this, this transition or transformation, if you will, with the blogging community, I actually, and I'm going to say this out loud, um, for the first time, but, um, I actually think that there's a lot of great things about Instagram, right? because I'm there. So I have to like be honest about that. Like if it was, if there was nothing good about it, I wouldn't be there. But I also think that it's done. We've done ourselves a disservice as a community um, of creatives because we've allowed, we've actually allowed them to tell us how to do what we've done for years before they even existed. And, um, and so we've, we've also allowed, you know, a lot of things that are connected to the human condition, you know, things like greed and, um, selfishness and all these other things uh to uh kind of overshadow the good parts of what we know to be true of ourselves and what we know to be true of the communities that we created long before instagram so while i would love to see i think you know instagram become something over overtly good um i just don't think that's going to happen i think that that you know, again, going back to what I was saying, you know, like we kind of have to take matters into our own hands. And I don't think that we, that means we're using or we're, 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 you know, using Instagram for something that it's not meant for. I think that we find ways and I'm finding ways, um, to use the things that are, that are, that are accessible to me, 
um, to continue to create these spaces and these communities that are are authentic and um, that align with my personal values and my brand values. So, yeah, it's um, oh gosh, I mean, there's there's just so much I could say about Instagram, but I feel like I agree. Like, I really feel that the past year or two, it's really trying to make people jump jump through hoops and do all things that you know it just doesn't feel like it's in alignment with the way that you want to be and the way you know and it's just such a time suck and uh, which I'm really conscious of like I just don't want to spend you know my life on Instagram I don't want to look back and say well you know (laughs) I spent like half my life on Instagram or whatever um but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things I actually love about this podcast is that it almost feels like old school blogging, you know, this opportunity mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to talk to people, to connect with people, you know, the listeners are out there and listening. The only thing is you don't quite get that, you know, feedback as such. I mean, people might write reviews, right. but, but not many people necessarily do. But I think that that's why pod, people are really hungry for podcasts because it's so much more intimate and it can be genuine and it doesn't, it's not about surface value stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's, I really enjoy the podcast, um, you know, medium in that sense. But I'm curious what, when you say Pinterest, is that just for uh, like visual ideas or is there a way that you connect with people on Pinterest? Cause I don't really use it that much. Yeah. So connecting on Pinterest, um, isn't really, you don't really create community on Pinterest. I'll say that. So, um, it's kind of, um, oh gosh, what's the word? It's, it's, it's a, a space that feeds into all of your other mediums, right? So, you know, whether it's my blog or if it's Instagram or YouTube or, you know, whatever the the medium is, Pinterest is kind of this place that directs your, directs traffic essentially to all of these spaces so that people can grab a hold of whatever it is that you're wanting them to grab a hold of, right? So even if it's my newsletter, um, you know, whereas like on Instagram, I can post in my stories that I want someone to join my newsletter. So like on Instagram, if I, you know, post in my stories that I want someone, you know, I'm, I'm inviting people to sign up for my newsletter, five people may see that because the algorithm is wild, right? Um, but on Pinterest, if I, you know, have that a link to that on Pinterest, if I have it connected from a post that I do on my blog, if I talk about it on my YouTube channel, um, Pinterest, for whatever reason, the, the algorithm is a little different there. And I see more traffic from each of those platforms or mediums than I do anywhere else driving um, if I'm consistent with Pinterest. And it's also not convoluted. There's not uh, you know, you, you're not going to see a lot of brand partnerships, ads, all these things that just really make it feel like a cheap space. Um, and it's just such, such a much more rich experience, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I am someone again, not an ad, but I am someone that I enjoy in that space right now. Hopefully it doesn't become that right. Because, you know, it is also a business just like anything else, but I would hope that their ethos is a little different and, and remains a little different than some of these other 
mediums that we have um, connected ourselves to. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. I mean, I have heard people describe Pinterest as like a, it's like a search engine in a way. So I it guess, is. Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. So I have to ask you before we kind of get to the sort of the final round of rapid fire questions, I, I want to talk about your, your personal style when it comes to yeah. your interiors, because you've got such a beautiful aesthetic and I'm curious how that's evolved over the years and um, is it informed by where you're currently living? I mean, as someone who has, you know, you've moved so many times, has your style kind of adapted to each different location or is there some common threads that are throughout your spaces and your use of color, like that green wall <laughs> is, um, I think it's in your dining room, is just so beautiful. Yeah, our dining room. Um, oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Um, can you just sort of share a little bit about how your style has evolved over the years and yeah, what are some of the yeah. common threads? I mean, I think that, you know, as I look back over the lifetime of each of our homes, it's obviously evolved, right? You know, like my taste has changed um, and, and my personal, you know, things, the things that I like have changed. Um, but I'd like to think that, um, each of our spaces, uh, you know, like I think naturally, overwhelmingly, most of what anyone is going to see is going to be a lot of what I like because um, I don't want to say my husband doesn't care, but he's just not that invested. I'll say that. <laughs> so what I try to do as someone who actually enjoys um, the aesthetics is is even if, even if he's not invested, bringing in his story as well. Um, but I think by and large, you know, I'm, I am deeply um, influenced by my Southern roots and Southern culture. And um, that looks like, you know, a lot of classic traditional um, deep tones, you know, uh, yeah, dark woods, I, the, all those things just get me going. So um, right now, you know, our walls are in our living room, at least they're all white, which is like, it's really just me waiting for an opportunity to be inspired because it's a blank canvas. That's what white is for me um, in the space that we're in right now. And I, I've seen the room 50 different ways and can't commit to one. So <laughs> if, that, if that helps at all, I, I'm so great with helping other people in my house. It's a totally different story. So I don't know, Natalie, maybe you can help me. <laughs> do, you, um, <laughs> do you do interior design or styling or decorating for other people? I do. I, am, I, I do interior styling for clients. I have a few right now that I'm helping and um, it's so great to help other people. <laughs> it's also because I think I get to do things that I, you know, I don't want to say I wouldn't do in my home, but it's just so much fun to do it with people who, you know, aren't afraid and who somewhat know what they want, but just can't seem to really pull it all together, which is kind of what I love as well, making things cohesive. Um, but yeah, I think as far as my personal design aesthetic is concerned, um, I have it, I would say for sure deeply, you know, rooted in Southern culture. So you're talking, you know, like cozy, again, warm, 
traditional, um, some pattern play. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of European influence in Southern design. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, something about it is really special to me. Mm. And, um, now I'm just, I also want to ask you about, you know, what, what projects are you working on? How do you spend your, your days? How do you sort of carve out your time as someone who's got, you've got four children. Um, I'm sure that you're really busy. So how, you know, what is your, I guess your primary work? Is it the, the, the shop? And, um, and, you know, you've mentioned that you do some projects, like, so, you know, what, what do your days and weeks look like? Can you give us a bit of an insight? Yeah, I think I could do a lot better for starters (laughs) with my time and how I manage it. Um, and I think as a creative, I struggle with that. Like I, I am not really good at this concrete sequential, you know, thinking and processes. Um, but you know, my time is divided between yes, the shop, um, the blog, you know, and any, like most things related to restoration house outside of the shop. So a lot of writing, a lot of, um, editorial, you know, planning and content planning. Um, and I, and that comes in spurts, you know, it's not like I'm not one to sit down and plan out six months worth of content or, um, or, or, you know, or to plan for six months worth of, you know, writing. I just, that's just not, it's not how I operate. Um, which may be freeing for some people out there. And, um, I also write, uh, I'm a freelance writer, so I write. I'm writing right now for Hallmark, and um, that's been really fun to do. And it stretched um, a lot of my narrative sto- uh, storytelling, and that's been really great. And it's actually given me a different voice, or it helped me to express a voice in me that I didn't know that I had. So that's been really fun, um, and that's necessary. That's that's I, I'm realizing that that is more necessary than I thought it was. So a lot of my time, uh, you know, I have deadlines to work within that. Um, I'm not really great at giving myself deadlines, but I'm working on that. So um, that and then, of course, client work. So that's something that's kind of new for me as well is uh, using my house is my house. And like I can only do so much. I can't change my living room, dining room, bedroom, you know, every week. So I was like, I need a way to like take these curated finds and take this gift that I have for the aesthetics and like use them in a different way. And so that's kind of where client work came in. Um, and of course people have asked over the years and it just wasn't something that I had space for. My kids were younger. I, I think I had the desire, but I just didn't realistically have the space. And so now that my kids are older and I do have a little bit more time, to commit to it and emotionally, mentally, physically, I feel like I can actually take on um, a little bit, of, a little bit more work. That is something that I'm kind of diving into. Yeah, no, sounds good. Is there another book in there somewhere? I, I, I don't know. I, I think that if I write another book, it would be completely different than the one that exists today. That's out there for the world right now. I think I don't even know that it would be a coffee table book. I think I'm look. I I would be more inclined to write a chapter book, and um, 
and kind of dive into some things. So like essentially what you're getting in my current book without all of the images and photography. I could see that as in, but deeper. I, yeah, yeah, I, I could, yeah. I mean, you, you write so beautifully. So I, I think that would be great. Thank you. Okay. We're going to get on to the, I've got some rapid fire questions. And so they're just kind of some okay. quick, quick ones um, to, to just hear, you know, your perspective on some of the lessons that you've learned over the years. So which five words best describe you? Oh my gosh. Funny, quirky, silly, fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's four. Is that four or that's, five? That's four, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, wait, I have one more. I have one more. Um, reflective. Oh, it, that's kind of like the yin and the yang, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> I know, sides. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Oh man, very simple. Be true to yourself. And it's one of the hardest things to do as well, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I know. It's like, who, who, but who are you? Right. Exactly. Yeah. What's your proudest career achievement? Oh. Proudest career achievement? I mean, easily, I could very easily say my book, but I don't think that's it. I think just, I honestly, this, hopefully this is like, I think just my ability to embrace the things that come at me, you know, and to my, my ability to be flexible with the things that are kind of laid in front of me and just kind of accept them. I think that's, that's always and forever going to be my proudest. Like if I can do that, I'm proud of myself. Yeah. And that's something you can take with you as well. So it's great and right. apply to it. Anything. What's been your best decision? Hmm. Best decision. This is rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> Just be like, what is your favorite coffee? <laughs> but I did say I was reflective, right? Yeah, so yeah, here we yeah. go. Um, my best decision, right? Is that what you said? Yep. Um, as it pertains to business or just anything, in anything. Oh, oh man. To become a mom. And I could expound on that, but this is rapid fire. It's okay. We, either or. Okay. <laughs> it's not, I mean, I say rapid fire, but it's just more like sort of 10 questions. But okay. Just general one yeah. at the end. Um, so, yeah. So my, my best decision was becoming a mom because I, my biggest fear was becoming a mom. So I feel like because of my own, you know, trauma with my own mom, I, my biggest fear was that I would be like this horrible mom and not that I've been perfect mom, but I'm proud of myself for saying yes each time and making the choice to be a mom and remain and like go through the hard and the good and hold the tension of all of that with my own personal pain. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's really powerful. And I should say these questions, um, I used to explain this, but so the blog that I used to have years and years ago, I had it for about 10 years and started 2007. So it was similar probably time to when you started your blog. And so it was called Daily Imprints. Mm -hmm. And these are the questions that I would send um, different people like photographers and interior designers and artists. And and so these are the questions I would send them. And every day I would share somebody else's response. And so I just thought when I started the podcast, given that it's called Imprint, and I, I always loved reading people's answers and getting insights into people. And I think that they really yes. give you a kind of a slice of somebody's life. And, um, and so that's why I wanted to include these in the podcast. And I just thought at the end, it's, it. um, yeah, it's just interesting to get like a, it's slightly different take on on you and maybe in some ways a more personal take as well because obviously everybody answers the questions differently so it's I I love it I love hearing what people's answers are um so the next one yeah no thank you the next one is who inspires you who inspires me I feel like ah man I'm so I I feel like there's I'm so inspired by so many people um I I hold very closely the women in my life that I won't call names but um like just very close circle friendship relationships that I have with women and if they listen to this podcast they'll know exactly who they are but um those those women are are very special to me i think i also think about the women who raised me and so when i think about inspiration and like where i gain my strength my courage um where my roots are i again being southern um culturally community family is like extremely uh like we're ingrained from a very young age that like families, everything, communities, everything. So um, my extended family is very close. Like my first, second, third cousins are like siblings to me growing up. They were. Um, And which means that like aunts, great aunts uh, were very important as well. And they were extremely instrumental in um, forming a lot of my thoughts and the way that I navigated through life. And so I think biggest inspiration actually would be um, my grandmother, my mother, um, my grandfather's sisters. Um, Those are women for me who were extremely and continue to be extremely impactful in a million different ways in my life. Like I do not exist outside of God without them. I don't. I'm nothing. I would be so boring and nobody and I would have no courage. I would have no strength. They are just, they're everything to me. They inspire me. Yeah. So beautiful. I'm curious. Um, how long, so how long have you been living in Seattle? We have been here for 14 years. Wow. So it's, it's a good chunk Mm -hmm. of time, you know, after having moved around so much, um, yeah. Did, okay. Wait, I'm sorry. That's 11 years, 12 years. Sorry. 12, not exactly. 14, it's, it's still, still a decent about, chunk of time. Um, yeah. did you find it hard to, to meet and make friends? Cause you were sort of obviously talking about your group of friends that you've got there. Um, did that take time or are you very good at making friends fast because you've had to do it so quickly? I used to be really good at making friends. I'm not anymore. 
<laughs> I don't know if it's age or, you know, like the time, the current times we live in or a combination of that with the fact that I'm in Seattle and um, Seattle is not exactly known for warm, cozy, fun, friendship, friendly people. Um, so I, it, it wasn't hard for me 12 years ago because we were in a church at the time and, and also I had very young kids. So I also feel like motherhood helps to, to build, you know, some of those relationships and friendships because, you know, when your kids are going to school with other kids and they start asking for play dates and, you know, or you're at the park or whatever, you know, like it just, it just helps make, it helps you make friends. Um, and now it's not that I don't like need friends, but I don't know. I'm just COVID COVID was really weird and like people fell off. And so I, I still have some of the same friends and some of them will be friends for life, but making friends right now versus 12 years ago is hard. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> hard. No, I, I can relate to that. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's a different kind of chapter in your life. Maybe. I mean, I'm, 46 yeah. I've just turned 46 so it's um yeah. and you know I'm you know so consumed with children and we've got like I said four uh-huh. children and it's, it's just busy <laughs> it's just really busy. busy yeah um what are you passionate about mm, I think more than anything I am a woman a person who is passionate about a couple of things um one very simple two words, freedom and, um, encouragement. So I think those things are the, are the two things that drive me in anything that I do, whether it's designing, styling, um, or, you know, writing, um, that's always going to be kind of center. And, you know, I am passionate about bringing freedom to the people who are, in my sphere of influence, whether that's like, you know, if there's three rings, whether that's inner circle or whether that's outer circle. Um, I just, I just am really passionate about, about speaking words that bring life, speaking words that bring freedom, writing words that bring life and freedom. Um, even when looking at, you know, designing or styling a space, I'm thinking about story, which to me represents freedom. Um, and encouragement, I think can lead to freedom, bringing light to something and helping people see things in a different way and, um, shedding light on that thing or, or, or sharing perspective, um, is encouraging and can bring freedom. Um, and I think that the, the cool thing is that again, that that can kind of morph and look differently depending on, uh, the medium, but at the core that's kind of what I'm always doing. Like I'm always, you know, if someone has a room even (laughs) that, you know, just doesn't feel right, then I'm giving them different perspective on how to make those things come together in that space and how to flow. And we're integrating their story so that they can feel freedom in their home to maybe create more community or just relax and have a space that's healing. Um, Yeah. So I'm passionate about that those two things. Yeah. Love it. Uh, what dream do you still want to fulfill? 
I think it goes back to what I was saying before. I, I, I don't think I've laid down yet consistently, I should say on a daily basis and said, I, I gave this one all, all, all I got, you know, I'm empty. And, and maybe that looks like, you know, heaven, I don't know, but, but if, but that's a dream, maybe that's why it's a dream because I, I just want to feel like I've given every single day all I have in me, you know, and I don't want, the day to give me all that it has in it, if that makes sense. Mm. I want it to be the other way around. Mm. Yeah. Um, what are you reading? What am I reading? Um, so I have friends who write as well. And I have a friend um, who just came out with a book called Eyes Up. It's a, it's kind of a memorial, if you will, to moments in her life where she needed to be reminded to look up and she is at the same time reminding us to do the same thing because hello, we're coming out of COVID, right? And, um, and the pandemic. And, um, I think we all need a little bit of reminding like that life's not over. We're not done. Um, so that book is one that I, um, have been able to, to read it's, available for pre-order not an ad but it is a good book <laughs> what, what's her um, name and so i have her name is alexandra hoover okay yeah and and she's got um a really a really good book and i'm also always constantly reading kind of like a little bit of everything i'm never um i'm never like not i'm never like not reading something at some point there's also another book that is really not spiritual at all. Um, and it is, uh, called all the white, all the white friends I couldn't keep. So use your imagination with the, <laughs> title, with the title, but, um, it's a, it's actually a really good book. Um, and it, it, I will say that the title, um, isn't necessarily misleading, but, um, it's intriguing and, um, it's a really great essay style book, um, kind of like a personal story. The author is taking you through some of their personal stories and their personal journey um, on how they've navigated hard conversations and relationships as it pertains to race. Yeah, sounds really interesting. Um, I'm yes. intrigued. <laughs> uh, what are you listening to? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you listen to podcasts or otherwise what kind of music I do you do. listen to? Well, of course I'm listening to yours. <laughs> um, actually there's a, there's another podcast that, um, I just recently found and it, and it's, it actually surprised me. Um, there's two, I love podcasts, but there's two that I've been listening to heavily and, um, actually three. So I'm going to name all three of them. One is how to decorate. It's, it's from Ballard Designs which is the one that surprised me. This is the one that's like, I don't think I would ever really like necessarily like say, Oh, ballot designs, you know, like they created a pod podcast. I definitely want to listen to it, but actually the interviewers are really great. And the people that they interview are pretty dynamic. So I've really enjoyed that. And it's also really educational. So, um, 
So what's Check it called? It Sorry, valid. How to decorate. Okay, so it's just called how to, how to decorate. Okay, yep. How to decorate valid designs. Okay. Um, the other one that I am obsessed with, like obsessed, <laughs> is how to be a better human ah. from TED. Okay. Like TED Talks, TED. Yeah. 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 Literally, I'm telling you, Natalie, be careful because you, it, you're going to be hooked. I'm telling first, first, first episode, you're going to be hooked. You're like, I want to listen to every single episode, every single season. It's so, they are all so good. Yeah. Um, and I can tell, also tell you that anything that NPR puts out, I'm going to listen to and any of the podcasts that they, that just the documentary style, the journalism, everything about it is just excellent and i that's my personal opinion everyone may not agree <laughs> i love npr i'm gonna listen to all their podcasts so um and the last one is bema b-e-m-a and that is a that is a faith-based um spiritual uh podcast but it is beautiful in the sense that it is um a rabbi and a theologian sit down from genesis to revelation and break down every single book, chapter, verse of the Bible in original language and original context. Wow. It is <laughs> the most excellent theological um, podcast I have probably ever listened to. Wow. That's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Wonderful. Because it's not what we get. I, I know that you're not in America, but it's not what we get here in America. And I can't speak for the rest of the world, but as far as theology is concerned, you know, everybody has a way, right? But this is, this is, this is beautiful because it's original language. It's not King James. It's not ESV. It's not, it's the original language. They're looking at it and, and talking about it from Eastern, which is where, you know, obviously where Christianity began, not in the Western world, but in the Eastern world. So, um, very, 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 very mind-blowing, very mind-blowing. Lovely. Oh, Love it. Great. No, I love all of those. Okay. And finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, what, what advice would I give to my younger self? Gosh, I really don't know. I know. I mean, like, I feel like every time someone, you know, asks that question and people answer it, I'm always like really amazed at the responses, but I never know. Because I like, I, is this crazy? I just. Well, what about maybe, I, maybe to your there's children? There's so much of my younger self still here. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like right here. Like I can touch her. Um, I'm like, I'm still trying to like, not necessarily get rid of her, but I'm trying to like figure out what to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> What would I say to my kids? Oh, yeah, I tell them all kinds of things that are encouraging. Um, oh, and share some. Maybe I need to find some compassion for my younger self first. Maybe that's the thing. Um, yeah, then maybe that's it. Like, just have having like learning to have compassion for for myself because I I think that's you know getting back to what we were discussing earlier about perfectionism and. Um, you know, all these things, I think with compassion, some of those things kind of fade. So I'm really hard on myself. Mm. So, and I have always been, so I think just have some compassion for yourself and I don't know how, you know, to get there, but I know that it's possible. 
Oh, that's such a beautiful note to end on. So thank you so much. <laughs> I've really enjoyed um, hearing your story and yeah, all your wisdom and insights. It's been, it's been a lot of fun as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Natalie. I've really enjoyed it. I so appreciate you inviting me. You're welcome. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.